welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Tell me what this means. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I think of a rabbit, because they have like little beady eyes and they have a little bushy tail. Awake, sexy, good, good night's sleep, and you're ready to get after it. Like ready to go? Like, you know when you like wake up and you're all excited? Don't throw the baby out with the bath water. What does that mean? I think it's I don't know. I, it's in my head, but I just can't put it into words. Okay. You want to act it out? I don't know. <laughs> what does that mean? Don't throw the baby out with the bath water. What does that mean? <laughs> have, you done it, have you done that before? No. Okay, I'm a good, good parent. All right. What does this mean? It's a drop in the bucket. Number two. <laughs> Number two. <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> Drop two. in the bucket. Yeah. All the, every day, once a day, right? Three times a day. Oh. <laughs> You're regular. Holy Activia. cow. Finish this statement. Don't sweat the... Technique. Technique? Yeah. Details. Small, Small stuff. What? <laughs> yeah. Small stuff. Small stuff? Yeah. Do you, do you sweat the small stuff? Probably too much. <laughs> too much? We shouldn't. Cool as a... Cat. Cat? Breeze. Breeze? How about cucumber? Oh yeah, duh. Yes. <laughs> no. Do you like cucumbers? No, I don't. No? So you wouldn't even thought about that. No. But you like cats. Yeah. I could tell. <laughs> cool as a? Bird. Iceberg or cool as, cool as ice? I don't know. Why do they say cool as a cu- cucumber? Cucumbers say cool for some reason. And they also Uh-oh, help with the eyes. Help the eyes. Yes. Yes, put cool cucumber cucumbers on, on your eyes. I could, I could use it, huh? No, 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 you're no, fine. no, no, okay. you're way you're too young to have that problem. Okay, okay. No. thanks, ladies. Hey, can I interview you real quick? I'm on, I'm on the phone on Tuesday. Are you? Okay. Yeah. You scratch my back, I'll... Scratch yours. Let's do it. Yeah. Ooh, good, good. Okay, rotate. Oh, I don't think you Oh, you don't? Yeah. <laughs> it ain't no thing. What a G thing? A chicken wing. (laughs) This is a drop in the ocean. Sea. Puddle. All show and no. All show and no play? I don't know that one. I'm gonna say no play, but that's not right. No talk. Oh! No. All show and no fun. There you go. No game, I don't know. 
all show and no? And no go. Have you done this before? No, but I'm old and I know a lot. You're like the wisest person <laughs> we, we interviewed. That was well, so good. Good luck. Good luck. You, I think you answered everyone. Well, I think so. Yeah, how many enjoyed that? That was Pastor Chris. He's our campus pastor from our Savage campus. I, I love when he does announcements. He's always funny. He did a great job on that. And I'm enjoying this series. Uh, I want to let you know, when I first uh, you know, talked about it and said, hey, we're going to do this series, hashtag original slang, we're going to get idioms and slang, uh, people were looking at me like, I'm not sure that I'm going to like that one. Even my own wife. She's like, uh, I, I'm not sure that I'm going to like it. I don't get it. And uh, she loves it now and thinks it's a great series. And just in case you missed it last week in the service, I didn't really just tell her, take your seat. <laughs> like, there was like a glitch in the microphone. You didn't hear. I said, Princess Honey, awesome woman of God, thank you for helping me. Take your seat now. I will massage your feet later. See, it was a glitch. It wasn't there. It was just missing. Listen. Am I doing better? All right. All right, good. Good. Okay. All right. All right. We're doing another one of those phrases, and today's phrase is holier than thou. All right, wherever you're at, whether you're here or on the uh, softer service or online, come on, raise your hand if you've heard somebody say, don't be holier than thou. Come on, raise your hand. Yeah, it's used a lot, isn't it? Holier than thou. We use it, and it, it means this, like a, a feeling of smug superiority, like you're better than the other people, that your way is perfect. Even though you have faults, you've just taken this attitude that you have greater virtue than those around you, even though you know you have faults. And I'll tell you what, uh, the world can't stand a holier-than-thou attitude. They've done studies, though. It is a problem for the church, but it's also a problem for just people in general. Just in general. ABC News did a story about this recently. They were saying people think they're really good, holier-than-thou almost, but really they live down here. And they think everyone else lives down here, but they always judge themselves up here. They did a study at Cornell University and uh, they asked these students, there's a, a tradition there to buy a daffodil. It's kind of a tradition for a fundraiser, buy a daffodil. And they said, how many of you will buy a daffodil this week? Oh yeah, 80 plus percent. Yep, we will buy one for sure. How many in the school will buy a daffodil? Well, maybe 50%. Turned out only 43% of them actually bought a daffodil. But see, they all said, oh, of course we'll do it. Of course, because we're good people, we'll buy one. See, holier than thou. We judge ourselves really good. We think the public is really low. And really, when it comes down to it, we're a lot like them. But we take a superior attitude. And the world can't stand it. And I got to tell you this, God can't stand it. God cannot stand it. Now, I did find this, and I'm going to do something that I've never done before. I'm actually going to read words from a song by Metallica. All right? So... <laughs> I, I, I know, I, it's, I've never done it before, so here we are. I, when I was researching this, I googled Holier Than Thou and found that Metallica had a song called Holier Than Thou. Now, the lyrics are incredible here. It says, who are you, where you been, where you from? Gossip burning on the tip of your tongue. You lie so much you believe yourself. Judge not, lest ye be judged yourself. Holier than thou, 
You are holier than thou. You are, you know not. Before you judge me, take a look at you. Can't you find something better to do? Point the finger, slow to understand. Arrogance and ignorance go hand in hand. Interesting. Metallica's writing a song, they can't stand holier than thou attitude. But here's the good news. Metallica didn't come up with it. God did. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 65, and we're going to look where this saying comes from, because God's the one that said it. Not somebody else, God said it. So in Isaiah chapter 65, if you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen, starting in verse 1, God says, I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I have stretched out my hand all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, according to their own thoughts, a people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend the night in the tombs, who eat swine's flesh and keep the broth of abominable things in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. The King James says, for I am holier than thou. He says, they are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but I will repay, even repay into their bosom. Your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, says the Lord. God's the one that came up with it. God's the one that said, you act all holier than thou, and I'm irritated by it. I don't like that you act holier than thou. I don't like that you think you're superior. I don't like that you act all bad and still pretend that you're holy. It's wrong, and it disgusts me. Now, I want to break this verse down because there's some passion here. There's some things that we don't understand. We may read it, and we go like, I didn't even know that was wrong. I didn't even know that was wrong. And you'll understand what God was saying. In verse 1, real quick, that's almost a prophetic thing. He's saying there's a people that didn't ask for me. There's a people that didn't seek me. That's us. That's us. He's saying it's the non-Israelites. It's the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. There's coming a day that they're going to uh, be in relationship with God, and that's right now. So it was almost prophetic. And then in verse 2, he says, I have stretched out my hand all day long to rebellious people. And I want you to understand this. That's a humbling posture. That's a humbling posture. God is saying, I have my hand stretched out to you. I am begging you to come back to me. You are rebelling, but I am begging you to come back to me. Now think about this. If you don't get anything else out of this service, and I hope you get a lot more than this, but at least get this. Never see God like this. Like he's mad at you, arms folded, like I'm ticked. You, I, I won't even talk to you. Isaiah is saying here, even in the rebellion, God is taking a humbling posture. God has his hand out to you. And no matter how far you've wandered from the truth, no matter where you are spiritually, no matter how bad you've been, can I tell you this? God has his arm out towards you. And he's saying, I will forgive you. If you will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. You'll be forgiven. I'll give you grace. I don't like what you're doing, but I always have my arm out to you. It's very key to understand that about God. He says, but they, they walk in a way that's not good according to their own thoughts. 
And he's saying, you're not even considering my thoughts. You're not even asking yourself, what does God want me to do? You're just chasing after what you want to do. You've made God a convenience. You haven't done what God wants you to do. It's all about me, me, me. That's the start of it. What do I want to do? What am I happy with? What am I going to do? God says it's wrong. And then he says, they provoke me to anger continually to my face. And what he was saying is, they've forgotten that I see everything. Did you know that? God sees everything. He sees it all. God sees everything. And he's saying, you provoke me to anger to my face. You're not even hiding to do your sin. You provoke me. How many know it's one thing to say something behind somebody's back, but it's another thing to say it to their face? Have you ever had somebody say it to my face? Say it to, go ahead, say it to my face. Say it, to, say it right here. Say it, say it right here. You know? And you're like, well, yeah, you know, sorry, you know. And he's saying that even when he does that to them, they still do it. They flaunt their sin. They're not ashamed. They're going to do it anyways, and they become bold in their sin. And if I could tell you this about sin, how many know sin has a progression? First of all, you sneak and hide to do it because you know you're not supposed to, so you sneak and hide. Then after a while, you're not so worried about hiding, but you sneak to do it. Then when you're caught, you're like, well, you kind of laugh it off. Well, you know, okay. And then you start to defend your sin. Oh, it's not bad. It's love. It's love. It's not sin. It's love. And then you start to, as you defend it, you start to attack people that have another side to it. You start calling evil good and good evil. Imagine the teenager that's trying to stand up for righteousness and saying, I will not have premarital sex. I'm going to be pure. And all of a sudden, their friends, they say, what? Everybody's doing it. How can you not do it? What's wrong with you? Prude, virgin. And then you've got this godly teenager coming home from school going, I'm a prude. I'm a virgin. I'm bad. I'm not cool. I'm not good like everybody else. And, and they're calling good evil. That's the progression that happens with sin. And God says, they're provoking me to my face. So you can feel the anger building. And then when you understand the cultural things that are going on, you read this, who sacrifice in gardens. What does that mean, who sacrifice in gardens? Here's what it means. They believed that there was fertility in the forest. And so they would worship the God of fertility, and they would go amongst the trees and commit immorality. They would have all sorts of sexual sins that would happen amongst the trees and in the forest because that's what they did to worship the God of the trees. And God's saying, you're supposed to be my people and you're in the garden committing all these terrible sins. So you see, that's something that he's saying, it's wrong. And then he says, you're burning incense on altars of brick. That was wrong too. They were forbidden to have altars that were made out of bricks. All the altars of God were supposed to be made out of natural stones. They were not supposed to cut them. They were just supposed to take that raw stone and fit them together and make it like that. That's the way God wanted it. So they were at a pagan altar made of bricks offering worship to God. He's like, you can't do that. You can't do that. You're mixing things. It doesn't work that way. So you can understand this culturally, what's going on. And then he says, you sit among the graves and spend the night in the tombs. Here's what was happening. They were saying, God, give us direction. God, speak to us. Give me direction. But if they didn't hear something from God right away, they'd go amongst the tombs because they believed that the spirits of dead people were around the tombs. And so they'd walk in the tombs and they would ask dead spirits to speak to them. Totally forbidden. 
and yet still claiming that they're with God. And not only that, he said, you sleep on the tombs because what they would do is if they really, really, really wanted direction, they would spend the night in the cemetery. And they would lay on the tomb and they would pray for a dream that would come to them so they could have a supernatural thing that would happen so that spirits would speak to them. Then they could interpret the dream. So you can see this now while God's saying, you guys are doing all these things that I've told you not to do. And then on top of that, he said, you're eating the flesh of swine. You're eating pigs. Pigs were an unclean animal. Not because the meat spoils. That's part of it. But they were also unclean because God knew in the cultures around them that they would worship pigs. They actually did. They worshiped pigs. They thought that pigs had special wisdom. Pigs had special knowledge. This was long before Animal Farm was ever written. I mean, so they thought that pigs had special power. And so when they thought when they'd eat the animal, they would take on the power of the animal. And that's why God says you can't eat that one, you can't eat that one, you can't eat that one. They're unclean, but they're also things that people worship, and you're not going to do that. But they would do that. They, they would do like, you know, really, it's, it seems funny, but it's almost like, for those of you that know the movie, Nacho Libre, you know, when they're not good wrestlers, they're like, if we could eat some eagle eggs, eagle power would come to us. We'd be better wrestlers. And how many know the line in there? They go, those eagle eggs were a lie. How many know that, right? So if you're young, you got it. All right. Anyways, all right. All right. But that's what they would do. They believed that they'd get this power. They'd get this power. And, and so God's like, stop doing this. And in the midst of doing all these sins, think about it. They're doing all these things wrong. They have the audacity to tell people that are not Jewish. They have the audacity to tell people, hey, hey, don't touch me. I'm holier than you. I'm holier than you. I'm holier than thou. They're doing all these things wrong. And then when the moment comes, they use the holy card when it fits them. And when it doesn't fit them, they're out there sitting and doing whatever they want. And God's saying, that makes me sick. He said, it's like smoke in my nostrils. And if you've ever been around a bonfire and the smoke is coming after you, you're the guy that it just comes after no matter where you move, it's, it's on you, you know? And you're just like, oh, it's in your face, it's in your eyes, you can't, you're, you can't see. And it just, get away from this. It makes you sick. It's not enjoyable. God says, you make me sick. You make me sick. And in one hand, you can see God disciplining. And in the other hand, you can still see God with his hand stretched out saying, I want you to come to me. I want you to come to me. And so they've got this going on, this holier than thou, and, and they're doing this, and you can see that pride brings the blindness. It brings blindness. And how many know that people that do the holier than thou thing, they start acting all holier than thou? How many know that we start saying really stupid things to excuse our sins? We start saying things like, you know, well, I sure, I mean, I lie, but at least I don't steal. Well, I steal, but at least I don't get drunk, Right? You know, there's always like somewhere, well, sure, I get drunk, but at least I, I don't commit adultery. Well, I, I commit adultery, but at least I don't murder, you know. And so we've got it where we just keep pointing it around and we excuse it away with what we do. It doesn't work with God. It doesn't work with God. As a matter of fact, try it with a police officer. They pull you over for speeding and be like, why don't you pull over the real criminals, the people that are killing people, the drunk drivers? I mean, after all, I'm just speeding. See if you get out of your ticket won't work. It doesn't work with God either. There's something about a holier-than-thou attitude 
that all of a sudden you learn to speak the language of repentance, but you never repent. You become a professional church talker, but not a real Christian living what the Word of God says. And what that does is it repels people from the truth. It repels, that's why God can't stand it. Unholy people that are not claiming to be part of, of the church, they don't stop the gospel from going forward. And holy people that are really living it don't stop the gospel from going forward. But the people that stop it from going forward are people that are holier than thou, that are playing the game, that just know the talk but don't really live it. See, what happens is we forget that we are brought in by grace. We forget that we're kept by grace. We forget that we're going to finish the race with grace. It's all grace. And we forget that, and all of a sudden we take a holier-than-thou attitude, and we excuse away our sins, but we look down on everybody else. Man, that repels people from the truth, and that's why God can't stand it. That's why he says, stop it. Don't do that. Now, if I was to stop the sermon here, we'd be early, but also, if I was to stop it here, you'd probably leave and you'd say, well, see, that's why I'm not going to, I'm just going to sin and I'm not going to worry about that holy part there. That's wrong attitudes. We're going to talk about holiness. And there's also another thing that would happen. How many know that holier than thou is always tied to that scripture, judge not lest ye be judged, right? So I want to address that real quick, those two things very quickly. First thing, judge not lest ye be judged, Matthew 7, 1. You got to understand this in the context of what Jesus was saying. He was talking to this culture that believed that there were six things that they could do that God would really smile on. They could pray, they could visit the sick, they could study his word, they could get their kids to study his word, um, they could be kind to strangers, and they could always believe the best in other people. That was part of their culture. I I'm, I'm not going to judge you hard. I'm going to believe that your intentions were good. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. So that's the culture that they were in. And so Jesus was saying, some of you are starting to be holier than thou. Watch the way you judge. In verse 2, he says, in the same way you judge, you're going to be judged. Watch it. Remember, we are supposed to be giving people the benefit of the doubt. But he wasn't saying that we should ever, never, ever, ever judge. Okay, but he's saying in the same way we judge other people, we're going to be judged. Because if you look at Matthew 7, he says in Matthew 7, 6, don't give the dogs what is sacred and don't throw pearls to pigs. How would you ever know if somebody was a dog or a pig and not living right and you're trying to throw all these good things if you didn't make a judgment? In verse 15 and 16, he says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. So we're supposed to be fruit inspectors, seeing how they really live. So we're supposed to judge, but remember, with a good judgment. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, test everything. Hold on to the good. We're supposed to test things. John chapter 7, this is a key verse, verse 24. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Okay, so how are we going to make right judgments? Because we have to have a little bit of, you know, Matthew uh, 18 talks about if your brother sins against you, go to him and confront him. How will you ever know if he sinned against you unless you can make a judgment on it, right? Okay, but here's right judgment in this. We don't want to be holier than thou, but we want to make right judgment. Right judgment goes in humility. Right judgment doesn't take joy in seeing the fault in the other person. 
you're almost grieved by it. Grieved by it. And yet, you almost feel like a prompting of the Holy Spirit, like you have to tell them about this. And you're like, oh, do I have to? Yes, you really do. And you go to the person in humility, and you, you extend a hand to them, and you do it in a right way. And you do it in a humble way, not in a way that's slamming them. And when you leave that person, you don't go tell everyone about what the sin was in them. You don't go and gossip to your life group. You don't go tell others about it. You go to them in humility, and you leave, and you, you keep it quiet. Let me just illustrate it in a very practical way. Our church won't do a wedding for people that are living together. We just won't. If you're living together, we ask you to separate. Now, I can tell you this. We don't do it this way. We don't go, sinner, you're living together. We saw that on your application, same address. You know, come out from amongst them. Ah! You know, we don't do that, right? Okay. When we talk with them, we say, hey, we just noticed on their application here that you have the same address. Are you living together? Yep, we're living. Okay. Hey, we won't do a wedding for anybody that's living together. Here's why. First of all, God says that he doesn't want you to be involved sexually before you're married. They say, well, we already are. We understand that. But we want you to honor God from this day forward, saying that you won't be until the wedding. And they look at me like, serious? And and usually the girl's like, okay. And the guy's like, I hate you. And so, uh, (laughs) yeah, it's kind of interesting. And uh, that's how it happens. And, and, And when I do this, my heart is breaking for them. My heart is breaking for them. And sometimes they say, okay. And other times they say, we're not doing it. And we're leaving this church. We're not going to be part of this church anymore. And my heart breaks for them. And I'm pleading for them. And even when they leave the office, my hand is like this. Because I'm saying, God wants the best for you. And then I say, and there's another reason why we tell you to do this. Because we want to give you a practical thing to give each other on your wedding day. There's going to come a time in your marriage that you're going to travel. One of you is going to be apart from the other one. Either deployed by the military or off for business. And you're going to have an attack in the mind that's going to wonder, are they being faithful to me? Are they being faithful? They've been deployed for a year. Are they being faithful to me? They've been gone on a business trip for a couple weeks. Are they being faithful? And the enemy will attack you, but if you have this time of abstinence honoring God, you'll be able to say, you know what? You can't attack me that way because I know they honored me for four months, for six months, for a year, and it'll be a great tool for your marriage. So there's multiple reasons But again, if they walk away, we still hold our hand out. Please, please accept the truth. That's right judgment. That's right judgment. And that's the way we should do it with everything like that. Last thing about living holy, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, But just as he who called you to be holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. It's a great privilege to know God but it's a great responsibility to serve him. Serve him in holiness. See it as a privilege to be more like him. Be like your heavenly father. You know, you're like the people that you hang out with. Spend more time with God. Spend more time in his word. Spend more time praying and actually be holy. You know, the greatest thing against a holier-than-thou attitude is to actually be holy. That's the best thing, to actually be holy and to do the things that you know God wants you to do. And when you're holy, it just means this. It means you're different from the rest of the things. The Sabbath was holy because that day was different than the rest of the days. The temple was holy because that building was 
different. It was set apart from all the other buildings. You are a Christian. You are holy because you are set apart to be different from the rest of the world. And as you're different from the rest of the world, people will see that holiness and they'll be drawn to God. Holiness is a beautiful thing that we should pursue. It's a beautiful thing. If I could say this, it's a saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't think holiness is legalism. I don't want to be holier than thou. No, be holy. Be holy. As I close, let me just say this. If you're here at the church or you're watching online or on TV, let me just say this. I apologize on behalf of the church if a holier-than-thou person kept you from a holy God. I apologize. Maybe you came to church one day. Maybe you walked in and you put on your best but your best was judged by someone else and they said something about you. You maybe overheard them in the row behind you or in front of you or maybe you walked into the church and the usher wouldn't even shake your hand. They just looked at you. I apologize for that. I pray that would never happen at our church, but I apologize on behalf of the church wherever it happened. Maybe you came in and you smelled like something and somebody said, do you smell them? And you said, I will never come back to church again. I want nothing to do with God. Don't let holier-than-thou people keep you from a holy God. Do not let that happen. There's a holy God who has his arm extended in grace. And he says, I love you so much that I sent my son to die for you. I offered you grace. My hand is stretched out. With one hand I discipline, but with the other hand I beg you to come back. So I apologize. And I hope that you'll give a holy God another opportunity to change your life to the church, I just say this. Let's be holy. Let's just be holy. Let's be the kind of church that when people walk in and they're dressed different, we love them. They smell different, we love them. We love them. They have sins and maybe it's so obvious it's just blaring out from them, but we love them. We're the ones that are kind. We love them into the family of God because we are so kind to them. Because we understood we got in by grace. We understand that we're just a little bit further in grace than they are. And man, if they could just get a hold of grace, God would change their life too. Let's be that type of church so that everyone knows that God loves them and that we are not a holier-than-thou church.